Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life.
Welcome, everyone, to America Meditating Radio. That was Vanessa Williams, Colors of the Wind. Don't you love that song? I love it. It's like it brings us together. We need to um, get more together to find some kind of a harmony and connectivity to nurture healthy relationships, to have healthy conversations, to be able to even, you know, disagree in a healthy way uh, instead of, you know, being very crass or rude or disrespectful to the other person. But by now, society has come to learn that however we project is who and what we are on the inside. And projection reflection has become a very big norm. And that gives us a, a window in having us being mindful about the things that we say and the things that we do and the importance of honoring the life of another. And in order for us to honor the lives of other people, we have to honor our own lives as well. And this is the time that we're in. It's a powerful time. It's really a powerful time. And today we really think about how do we help our civilization to rise and to become more elevated. So we hope that the past week was were days filled with OMI. As you know, we had launched the OM Challenge for the International Day of Yoga, which was the fifth year. And it also, on June 21st, also there was a global OM by individuals like Russell Brand, Tulsi Gabbard, Byron Katie, and so much more. And it's been really, really a time of galvanizing our pure feelings and good wishes and on the message that I sent to Prime Minister Modi, it's just, just thank you. Thank you so much for bringing this kind of an energy to the world. And we've got so many folks on the planet that are also helping to create more of a sacred space, to create more room for healthy dialogue and healthy relations. My next guest on America Meditating Radio is Amar Bakshi. Amar is an artist and the founder of Shared Studios and Portals. He works to connect members of diverse communities who would likely not otherwise meet in intimate environments to create their own meanings. He created the global public art initiative Portals in 2014. A lot happened in 2014. Yeah? Prime Minister Modi launches the International Day of Yoga, and here comes Amar with his, you know, portals. I love it. It was a great year. So anyway, let me tell you about portals. Portals are interconnected, immersive audiovisual spaces. They're staffed by real human beings in which you come face-to-face -face with people around the world. Now, inside, you can make eye contact, talk, dance, play as though you were in the same room. And since it was launched in 2014, Portals has expanded to more than 40 per permanent global sites and connected hundreds of thousands of people around the globe in intimate conversations. It brought in special guests, including Barack Obama, Jose Andres, Priyanka Chopra, and have been covered by hundreds of the world's leading outlets. Now, before becoming an artist, Amar worked as a reporter and editor at the Washington Post and CNN, and as a special assistant to the U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations. He has a JD from Yale Law School, a master's degree from John Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies, and an undergraduate degree from Harvard University. I don't think he's that smart, but anyway, welcome to Amar. Amar, welcome to the air. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I can see that you've been doing a lot of work. Oh my gosh, you're amazing. 
<laughs> That's very kind of you to say. Okay, so the work of Shared Studios and the portals are just amazing. So we came across your work from the upcoming One Journey Festival, which I'd never heard of you before. And that's going to be held at the Washington National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. Can you let our listeners know a little bit about how Shared Communities actually came about and what is your vision for Shared Studios? Sure. So I used to be a reporter, like you said, and I traveled around the world for almost one year around the world, one year around America, uh, and then a bit more. And I was a video blogger, so I shot uh, video vignettes about how people feel about the United States. That was my beat. And I found that some of the most moving conversations of my life were actually when the camera was off, when just to pass the time on a long bus ride from one part of a country to another, I spoke to a complete stranger. And I didn't have an iPhone. This was 2007, so I wasn't listening or watching Netflix. Just to pass the time over these hours, I struck up conversations with people unlike myself in far-flung corners. And because I didn't know them and they didn't know me, what I was going to say wasn't going to immediately show up on social media or get back to uh, so forth. They ended up being some of the most moving and meaningful conversations of my life, talking about love and loss and, and hope. Uh, and when I came back to the U.S., uh, I found that I never really had those kinds of conversations when I was mm-hmm. on the bus or sitting in a park. Uh, you know, I, I was always listening, tuned out. I was in, in technology. So so that right. was part of it was how do you encourage people to engage and talk to people unlike themselves? But the second component, just briefly, is that my grandmother fled in Pakistan, Lahore, when she was 10 years old in 1947. And she did this. Uh, during partition and great violence, she's Hindu and mm-hmm. uh, Pakistan and Hindu. But she's never been back to Lahore, Pakistan in, in 60 years. And I was the first member of my family to go back when I appeared as a reporter there. And she was reading my blog posts and my articles about America and views of America. But what she really wanted to know was what her old bakery smelled like, felt like. And she just wanted to talk mm-hmm. to anybody about what it's like to live there. I told her not to worry that one day she could wear, you know, Google glasses and walk around as a hologram and talk to whoever she wants. But she passed away a couple years later, and even though the technology was better than ever, there's no way she would have reconnected to Pakistan just on Facebook or LinkedIn if she didn't know anyone. And so I thought, what would she want? She'd want to enter a coffee shop and just talk to anybody, a five-year-old, a 50-year-old, just to engage a basic human curiosity. So those two things came together in pressing me towards trying to fill what I thought was lacking in the world. Yeah. I remembered my great-grand-aunt. She went back to Pakistan after fleeing it uh, many years ago, and for the first time 70 years later, she went back to Pakistan in Sindh, and she cried. Um, She cried in many different ways that it hadn't changed Again, the whole atrocity of war and division and power struggles between people, the sacrifice that so many people make to find peace, food, family, uh, is very painful. And I really think that your portals is quite powerful. I would love to see a portal in Palestine and in Israel and to have Netanyahu and so many of these folks just go in and talk to each other heart to heart, not politics to politics. It'll be such a powerful thing, and I'm sure you've had that vision. 
We've actually have a portal in Gaza City. We've had one there for now more than two years. And in the end of July, we're launching in Safra Square in Jerusalem. So oh, uh, we're quite close to to um, what you're describing. Go oh, lovely. Keep me updated on that. I will. One of the first portals we launched were between Washington, D.C. and uh, Havana, Cuba. And one of the participants was an elderly Cuban woman who walked into the portal and spoke to – she was Cuban-American and had not been back in 50 years. And she ended up speaking to a young man who was born on the same street that she was born on, I mean, doing exactly what my grandmother would have loved to have done. And she was quite – she was ailing, and uh, her friend brought her there just to the portal just to try to cheer her up. But we didn't plan this. And she came mm-hmm. out dancing, and, you know, it, it was like closure in a very – powerful way for her, and, and but also a reconnection, an opening. Right. How did the trailers come into place? Yeah, sure. And isn't it difficult to get those trailers to different locations? Yeah, I probably wouldn't have chosen them if from where I'm sitting now. But I'll tell you a little mm-hmm. bit about how the structure came about. So like any daydream, you know, my idea was what if Nanny, my grandmother, could walk into a local Starbucks and talk to someone in Pakistan? Okay, well, then how do you implement that idea? There's a good amount of work, both symbolically and artistically and practically, that needs to be done. And so from a very practical perspective, you know, when you enter, and just for your listeners, when you enter a portal, you know, what really makes it distinct is there's a big gold shipping container. You walk inside. You go around a little bend. There's carpeting everywhere, the floors, ceiling, sides, and in front of you is a full projection of someone standing who looks like he's in the same room as you, but they're actually in an identical shipping container halfway around the world. And unlike, you know, video conferencing where you're cut off or you know, someone's fixing their hair or distracted, there really is nothing else in the room but the person standing in front of you. And so mm-hmm. you make eye contact, you jump around, you dance, you sit, you can go in as groups. There are no wires anywhere. It's very seamless. So structurally, we needed a form that was the same everywhere so we could create this effect in a cost-effective and intelligent manner. And so what I wanted to do as an artist was to take what is so common, the shipping container, the Internet, and highlight actually how incredible the opportunities it provides are if we're purposeful about how we, um, how we lay claim to them. And so the shipping container symbolically is a standard modular form that grew up in in the middle of the last century and became the basis of global trade just like internet packets you know packets of data have become the basis of another form of interactions but Mm -hmm. because it's become so common you know a lot of the sacredness the special feeling of connecting with someone across difference like if you imagine writing pen pal letters in the 80s it's because it was hard, because it was uncommon. You paid more attention. And I remember when I was a reporter seeing people who kept those letters for 30 years from when they were kids, and they were golding letters, aging. And I said, you know, we don't do that anymore because it no longer feels special. So portals, it's about taking these mundane things, imbuing it with a new meaning. And there's a, a very big part, I think, of the color choice, which I didn't realize at the time, yeah, how did you end up with the gold coloring? That's interesting. Yeah, well, first I tried black. It looked very – well, first I tried nothing, and the neighbors really complained because I built this thing in my parents' backyard. I put a shipping container there, 
and the neighbors really hated it. One in particular thought I was living in it. <laughs> and so I, had, I realized that I had to do something. So I tried painting it black. It was very scary. It looked like a black site. I tried painting it white. It was very artsy. I tried stripping the paint. It's terrible for the environment. Anyway, eventually I, I tried a light gold. It looked too much like money. Then I got this dark gold that I love because it is semi-reflective. You see yourself in it, but imperfectly. And it is it alludes to both the commercial but and the sacred. And it reminded me of the figurines my grandmother would keep from temple in her home. You know, God, mm-hmm. Hindu gods and goddesses. Yes. And yes. so, uh, you know, that, even the interior, the, the carpeting everywhere, to me, and the low light levels, I associate it actually with when I was a kid going to the Smithsonian with my grandmother and watching movies in theaters for kids that were padded everywhere. It just felt safe and warm. And so I think a lot of that space was an unwitting, like, homage to her and to what mm-hmm. she meant to me. Now, do these crates cost you a lot of money? Is there an outside funding for the crates? Yeah, well, the main costs are, yes, they are technically, but we have some great technology partners who help us to reduce the technical costs. The main costs are human labor. Every portal is staffed by a part-time or full-time or up to two or three curators. So every portal in the network connects to every other one, And the connections range from open conversations around topics like what would make today a good day for you to very specific events like, you know, coders in Gaza and Baltimore collaborating on a public health app. And so so that that just gives a bit of the framework on it. In terms of how to sponsor it, as I was mentioning, you know, it began as an art piece where there was no thought of money. And then now we have 85 people around the world who are either employed by us or partners. So we obviously have to be much more cognizant about the sustainability of this network. And so the way it's funded is, one, uh, educational institutions such as K-12 and universities subscribe to the network. And they provide a curator locally, the staff person, or we provide it. That's one. So the subscription, the placement and the subscription. We don't really sell the portals. We place them. We're constantly Mm -hmm. upgrading and improving. The second thing are cities and communities who also subscribe. So these would be uh, public parks, performance venues, museums. So, for example, we had a portal at the Intrepid Museum in New York that connected to the NASA laboratories, and kids went in and met with NASA astronauts one day and then, you know, uh, engaged with astronauts around the world the next. So so that's the second. And then uh, the third is that, you know, often institutions on their own will have a lot of silos and, and, you know, companies will get very wrapped up in their own internal issues. And we see ourselves as encouraging communities to embrace difference. And so companies will also increasingly say, hey, we would like your help. We're trying to be more globally aware, more outward facing, have more community programming. And the important part of the portal is it's not just about connecting you to someone halfway around the world, it's also about connecting you to someone right down the block. And so by programming the way we do, by really understanding what it is to bring different kinds of people together and to nurture positive interactions between them, we've developed some expertise there that helps within institutions, within companies. So those are really the three ways we're supported. And then within that, of course, yes, there's lots of nonprofit funding that comes to us, but it'll come through schools or through cities. Hmm. So, because I find it quite interesting how you would connect 
like the group from Rwanda that connected to some girls in the U.S. I saw that video footage. Like, how do you actually make that connection happen? And is it like just a link that the cameras are set up to into a, like a social media link, like a Facebook, or is how do they actually get the video connection where they get to see each other? So I guess there are two parts to that question. One is I think you're mm -hmm. focusing on the technology. So yeah, on the technology, we use the internet, right? So just like um, just like any video conferencing call, we have some work that we tweak on oh. it, but we work very closely with Zoom and others. So uh, you know, it's not okay. what we do is not quite off the shelf, but it is the same technology. Our focus is on the on the design, and a lot of what we do is like image manipulation and, and camera lens issues to make it feel like you're in the same room, right? Because it, most webcams, when you're just looking at them, it's sort of your face, yes. it, it, you know? Ours is quite different. But then the second, I think, more important piece perhaps is each site has full-time people who are trained to and whose job it is to connect people around the world. And so when a group of kids in Colorado Springs uh, who, or in this case, elderly people who want to teach violin and have violin recitals hear that there are a group of kids in Rwanda that are keen on learning how to play the violin. This happens because our community managers are constantly communicating with one another, our curators. Right. And they have, you know, every single day, if you look at our internal messaging boards, there's dozens of ideas and dozens of connections that are taking place. And it's very human-centric. I mean, we believe that you need a purposeful community and a new civic infrastructure in this interconnected age. So just like over the past 500 years, to encourage people to live lives that embrace knowledge and beauty, we've built civic infrastructure like librarians, teachers, and museum mm -hmm. curators. Our curators are trained to do this, and we are trying to build a civic infrastructure for a technologically connected age, where if we don't, people don't feel, they're afraid of difference and distance, right? They're only hearing about people through the news or YouTube. They're getting deeper into their own silos and social media bubbles. So how do you break out of it? Or they're distracted. Right. They don't have time for a long conversation. Well, in this case, you walk into this dark space that kind of alludes to the sacred, has this feeling almost of a confessional, but more importantly than anything else, puts blinders on you. You know, your cell doesn't work. You're looking at the person right in front of you or right next to you and focuses just on a simple conversation. And then people will come out after an hour and be stunned that so much time had passed, right? They thought it had been like 10 minutes. But the context is important. The human network is important. The fact that it's so symbolically rich, like this gold space, like very prominently placed in public, that then when you enter is silent and tranquil. You know, it, there's a lot in that. And I mean, People do meditation sessions and yoga sessions through portals all the time. You know, that's something we should mm -hmm. talk about separately. But, but that's what we're trying to build. That's fantastic. How riveting. It's really powerful. With over 250,000 people served in 40 sites in 20 countries, what has been the most moving experience for you thus far? Because you've had conversations based on, you know, the divisions of age or you've gone into race, gender, sexuality, politics, faith. Has there been something that, a moment that had particularly moved you during this process? There are a lot. Uh, and so mm. I, I'm inclined to give you maybe more than one example um, of whole types of interactions that I didn't expect, but that are, were very moving. You know, one is we'll have people, men or women, who are in different countries 
go into the portal alone and talk to someone of the opposite gender alone in another country and then emerge and say that's the first time I've ever spoken to someone of the opposite gender in the same room before. So of course it's not the same room, but it is. It's this weird space, this liminal space. It is quite moving for them. Or they'll perform and dance in this way. So that's one. Another, and I think relatedly, a lot of people will talk about issues of sexuality and gender. And we have to be very careful about this, and we are. I mean, conversations are thoroughly private and secure. But in a lot of our sites, you know, people can't come out as gay. Now, the second kind of thing that has surprised me in its power is, you know, we have a portal in the Milwaukee neighborhood of Amani, which is the most incarcerated zip code in America. Uh, It's also among the most segregated cities in America, zip codes uh, in America. And our portal was set up there three years ago in partnership with incredible researchers at Yale and Johns Hopkins, so Tracy Mears and Vessel Weaver, to basically try to understand how people experienced the police and police authority. And what they found with the portal in Milwaukee was it had huge repercussions for a neighborhood where most kids never left the zip code, sometimes even, you know, like a six-block radius, let alone the state, let alone the world. And what happens when they connect globally is a couple things. I mean, one, obviously, it opens up one sense of the world and makes difference a source of positivity and strength and creativity, human difference, rather than a source of fear or job loss. But second, people begin to realize the commonality of their struggles and the fact that solutions can come not just locally from them, but locally from similarly situated communities, not just from experts who are coming in from the outside from on top. And so as an example of this, there's obviously a great deal of gun violence in this community and one of the things, uh, and gang violence, and one of the things our curator, Lewis Lee, managed to unpack and uncover during his curation sessions was he connected with Herat Afghanistan and learned and discussed and traded ideas with, and I say him, his community, with a, a group and leaders who were battling tribal violence and how different tribes in Afghanistan and working to bring them together. Then just very similarly, they connected to Kigali and Rwanda and learned about how in the aftermath of genocide, you know, you couldn't turn to the state for restorative justice. And so they built Gachasa courts and they, the community led its own efforts. And so these were two revelations because they came from very you know, similarly grounded sources and emerged naturally. And then finally, some young people connected to young people in Australia, well, slightly older people in Australia. Because in the 90s, Australians went through the gun violence epidemic that we're going through. And then these young people here learned about how these older people there, when they were similar age, led movements mm-hmm. to put limitations. So the, the awareness that one struggles are not isolated comes when right, there's connection right. between communities across difference. And I didn't expect that to be as powerful or as transformative to whole communities as it's turning yeah. out to be. Beautiful, beautiful. So basically, you know, you've created an opportunity for people to just come more together in a space that they could feel safe in without many distractions and allow their better selves to emerge in dialogue if they wish, whether it's through dance or singing or whatever they need to do. And that's a much-needed 
thing of this time because we are becoming more separated, thinking that if I have a million friends, everybody knows and likes me. And we know that's not true. You can have two million mm-hmm. likes and only two people in your life, and even those two people you don't really like that much. <laughs> right. You know? Right. Um, yeah. Your vision for the portal in making the world a better place, I think, is very, very noble. So thank you for that. The advances in technology today, they in some way are helping to bring us together as a global community. But it, as I mentioned earlier, it has also created some sort of a perception in our minds, um, thinking that we are together, but we're even more isolated than ever before. What are your thoughts in terms of the future? Do you see us becoming more harmonized, more one as a nation? And can your portals be a means of us getting there? So I think that we have that technology companies have presented themselves and we have taken the view that these are neutral platforms and that I think we're now coming to an awareness that even scissors can be used to make a collage or to cut the person sitting next to you. So, you know, you need a set of norms and values and shared purpose and context for these tools to be used. Now, I would say that in many cases, as you mentioned, the tools are actually sometimes organized in ways that drive us apart. And that's a real concern, whether it's, so, whether it's bubbles and social media or more radicalizing content. And I think that the solution is in us, in communities, in civic institutions, religious institutions, not big companies, to say, okay, this is great. You know, we're so lucky to live in a world where we can call someone halfway around the world. Now, what are we going to do with it? How are we going to be purposeful in its deployment? And like any big transformation in human history, you know, it requires some coordinated action and legwork, right? I think in this day and age, everyone thinks of 2 million likes or $10 billion or 10 billion followers or whatever it might be. But no, this work happens community by community, brick by brick over decades. And so when you ask what for shared studios would I hope, I mean, my vision, my dream would be that in decades, centuries to come, there is a role in human society devoted to connecting people across difference, young and old, ideological, national, and that it becomes not just like a eat your vegetables, it becomes Mm -hmm. a, oh my God, I'm so lucky to do this because wouldn't just like, wouldn't life be uh, terrible if you, there was no books and no knowledge? Wouldn't it be terrible if there's no beauty? Wouldn't it be terrible if everyone's lived experience was exactly like your own? And yeah. since we know that, yes, it is, then how do we as a society encourage it? Now, my big concern with technology is it's going to race ahead. It's going to look beautiful. There'll be holographic gla- you know, VR glasses that literally take away eye contact and mm. isolate you. And, and yeah. it's going to get more and more spectacular. So one day people will say, oh, you can go in a room and talk to someone like it's in the same room. Oh, you know, no big deal. My concern is just like with the pen pal letters, we will face the trouble of, you know, when we justify what we do on technological terms, it's a losing proposition, right? No small institutions can r- really compete with the big hardware and software providers out there right now. And, and, and that's not the point, right? The point is how do you, they've done great work. They've made some great things. But ultimately, you know, it takes all of us, and yes, we can't just be consumers, right? We can't mm-hmm. just consume. And so 
we have to be very cognizant that if we don't be thoughtful about how we integrate technology into our lives, other forces, you know, market forces, political forces, if we're not aware of it, they will take hold. You know, they will mm-hmm. use it for other purposes. And so, you know, that's why you learn to read and that's why you question question things. And we need to do the same thing with technologies as they're introduced at such a rapid rate and so quickly incorporated into our lives and so omnipresent. But what role do we have in deciding how to use it? And, and the answer is a yes. lot, but it requires an awakening. You know, it requires yes, awareness. Yes. So now when we look at the portals, how would, let's say, meditation, let's say a group of folks want to use it for transmitting vibrations of meditation. For example, last week we initiated a new program called Say Hello to Your Neighbor. And so whatever vibrations or feelings that people are having, even in their own homes, that also vibrates in the atmosphere. So looking at the portals, how would you visualize like a meditation program being done using the portals? So one of the great things about portals is we have programming partners. So we have programming partners in education and science and so forth. We don't have one in meditation yet. You know, Mm -hmm. expertise in meditation doesn't come from us. It comes from you. But what we can do is help spread it. So there are two real ways to do it. One is just a simple point-to-point session. Someone sitting in India and, you know, someone sitting in Chicago, and they do a joint session, right? And that becomes quite a lot of people when you have 50 sites or 100 sites all doing it, right? The, mm-hmm. the other way to do it, if it's more of a training, you know, like a teaching, is to connect one site to the whole network. And so you can have a simultaneous global meditation led by one site or not even led by any you know, like we do dance parties like this where we have one track that's playing around the world at the same time and everyone's dancing to it. So mm-hmm. so that's, you know, just off the cuff. But yeah, you know, and then yeah. I'm, I'm tempted to, to be very literal and technological, but we're, <laughs> we're adding what are called haptics into some of these spaces. So you could quite literally transmit vibrations through haptics. <laughs> you know, yeah, I was thinking by, of by that. Half, that's something we've been playing with. We're doing quite a lot more around Play. You know, one of the things I've designed but haven't really done much with is interconnected playgrounds for kids, you know, where yeah. they create together. And yeah. So there's a lot That's that beautiful. can be done here. There's a lot. I was thinking on September 21st, we could have, uh, which is known as the International Day for Peace, we could initiate with all the portals around the world a peace meditation for global peace. And then we just have everybody hooked up on that day since it's a declared international day for putting down all of your violence and all the stuff that this would be a very beautiful leeway into people doing reflection, prayer, meditation, just on peace on that particular day. I, that. I think that will be something to discuss further. Well, I'm so happy, Amar, that you're in my backyard. So now we can call each other and stay connected. And could yeah. you leave us with any sort of a website or information that if anyone sure. is interested in getting the portals or learning more, they can yeah. get in touch with you? Yeah, thank you for that. Sure. So our website is Shared Studios. So that's S-H-A-R-E-D, like Shared Meals, Shared Studios. And then studios with an S. So shared with a D, studios and com. And yeah, if you just Google shared studios or shared studios portals, you'll find us. Uh, and, oh, and you lovely. can reach out there and you can see how we use it. And we'd be happy to, to talk to everyone. We really want this yeah. to be in all sorts of communities. 
Wonderful, wonderful, Amar. To be continued, and I might be seeing you at the One Journey Festival coming up in Washington, D.C., so to be continued, and lots of good wishes with what you're doing. Thank you again so much. Take good care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a brilliant idea, wasn't it? I was fascinated to hear it, and I was you know, able to just think about the future, like projecting this. Wouldn't it be interesting to have a whole bunch of portals around the world because he already has quite a lot around the world, for International Day of Peace and for there to be that drop-dead silence from those portals radiating throughout all those countries. That would be really sweet. Anyway, if you want more information on Amar Bakshi's work, go to sharedstudios.com. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission, and we really are here to love each other the same, so we should do that a little bit more. (laughs) So here is Beautiful Girl by Bliss. Take care, everyone.
I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.